Have you heard about MorningTechMeeting.com? What is that? Someone might ask. And I would say, hey, someone. These are daily six to eight minute sessions sent directly to your team members where Eric, the Tech Whisperer Sprague, will lead them through soft skills training. Think about this. As an owner, you can have Eric helping you to daily enhance your team development, daily accelerate your culture of excellence, and daily boost your bottom line. Eric developed the, this system while working in his own company, something I'm super excited to talk about and share with you in an upcoming episode of the Diojo podcast. Check this out. Normally, this service is $39 a month, but if you mention the Diojo podcast promo, they'll knock off $10. That's $29 a month to have Eric, the Tech Whisperer, spray helping you build your team. Check it out at MorningTechMeeting.com. They've got free samples. And like we said, mention the Diojo podcast promo for your special deal. And let's get this thing going. Welcome to the Diojo podcast. All day. All night. So, <laughs> if you were a podcast fan like I am, maybe you recognize that from the Joe Rogan experience. What does he do? Joe, Joe Rogan podcast. All day. All night. Uh, anyways, I, I'm a consumer. I spend a good deal of time on the road, so um, I enjoy consuming podcasts. And, you know, even if I'm taking a walk or a run or those kinds of things, don't know if you've seen my... Uh, <laughs> we got a stellar review from, you know, just an avid runner. Do you really listen to podcasts while you run? There's nothing that gets me more juiced up than the sweet sounds. The Diojo podcast. You watch the video and you can see the guy is just extremely fit uh, running his dog. And, and apparently the secret to his success from going to flab to fab, you know, uh, shedding the pounds off the dad bod is, um, you know, um, listening to the DOJO podcast while he runs. So, <laughs> but uh, I recently, I'm so excited, the um, Eric and Larry over at the Blue Collar Nation, um, they're uh, running, they, they just recorded a, a promo for me, and it's stellar. So I don't want to give too much away. It should be coming on their next podcast. Podcast. If you um, haven't subscribed to them yet, Blue Collar Nation, um, it's good stuff. They're, I know I listen to them on iTunes and Spotify. Um, good stuff. They've been doing action blurbs lately with um, just ideas, quick ideas on how, uh, what people are doing during COVID, uh, unique ideas and those kinds of things. And they said they're getting back to their longer format weekly. Um, I just listened to the one with um, Anissa Coy from uh, Firehouse Education. So it's cool how our industry is big and yet not all that big. Um, and Anissa apparently lives here in uh, Washington as well, close to the Oregon border. So Hopefully sometime I'll get to meet her. I know I read her stuff on and watch her videos on Restoration and Remediation magazine. But um, Eric and Larry, I'm excited. They invited me to come on their podcast. So um, if I don't blow that, you should uh, hear that. <laughs> and um, But it's a unique story. I talked to Eric. His episode's coming up here uh, soon for the Diojo podcast. But they grew up friends in Boston going to college and then somehow ended up running a restoration company in California together. So coast to coast. And uh, they're, you know, you can listen on the podcast. They take good jabs at each other like good friends do. And so um, you can tell their relationship is still intact even 
survived you know college and running a business together and selling it and now um, doing you know morning tech whisper and the blue nation podcast so um, I'm excited on this particular episode so for the intentional restorer column um, I got a whole group of people together um, that I am aware of on various stages of leadership sharing you know what's a quote that kind of um, helps shape your approach and encourages you or challenges you and so that should be coming out shortly on the Intentional Restorer on Restoration and Remediation magazine um, and uh, there's some commentary there but uh, for the video accompanying video and this podcast um, I've got two of my good friends Mike Kinney and uh, David Smith and we do a little bit of a deeper dive into their quotes and so Mike um, him and I volunteered together um, in uh, Eugene Oregon and I gotta tell you if you ever get a chance to meet Mike seriously the best smelling man I've ever met and you know how there's some people that just overdo it on the clone and some people that you know need to hit a little bit more of it somehow Mike always has the perfect amount of cologne and I've asked him several times to record a video and show me what he does I'm serious it's like perfect it's if there was there he is a perfect smelling man and he's a very good dude um, but also uh, I knew him when he managed um, a couple of Les Schwab's in town and always his stores were so stinking clean you know Les Schwab's typically are you know fairly clean um, some of them cleaner than others, but you can tell to me, I always, my team's always tried to teach, you know, cleanliness in restoration. Cleanliness is godliness. You know, that shows if you're clean, your van's clean. You know, if you're clean, you're going to keep your van clean. If you keep your van clean, you keep the shop clean. You know, you're going to keep the uh, customers, um, you know, work site, their homes, their businesses clean. You know, how many times do you come in after a contractor, my pet peeve? You know, you can see the footsteps from the drywall and super hard to do, right? Because drywall just sticks to everything. But, um, you know, it just takes a little bit of extra effort to to keep that down. And so, um, you know, I always admire that, you know, when I go somewhere, um, you know, and they're clean and it, it shows a level of care, right? And that there's some, you know, somebody is able to transfer that to their team and get that across and keep that consistent. And then David, I actually met, uh, he was an underpaid tech when we met, under, underpaid, underappreciated, underrecognized talent, and uh, kind of a funny story, you know, when I finally was able to get him a raise, then he quit and went to one of our competitors, um, you know, a little too little too late, uh, message out there for if there's any leaders, you know, that are teetering, you know, if you, you may have some of that talent right under your nose that you're just not recognizing, and David, we were able to get him back. And, um, you know, just I uh, undoubtedly one of he is the best uh, production man in restoration. You know, his ability to play the jigsaw puzzle game. Those of you in restoration and other service based industries, you know, you have to have your plan for the day, but your plan has to be interruptible and that calm under pressure, you know, being able to say, all right, we got this. You know, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. And that translates to your team. You know, when the person kind of doling out the, the assignments is able to say, hey, this was our plan. This is what we're switching to and this is how we're going to do that. And then, you know, we had a lot of lot of fun memories in the trenches together. You know, seriously, if I were starting a company um, and I recently was managing a company out of the state that, you know, we were in Eugene. I came to Seattle. <laughs> I tried really hard to get him, but uh, he loves it in Eugene and I don't blame him. But, um, um, you know, he, he, he's a top pick. Um, if I were starting a company, he'd be pick number one. Um, 
And uh, so anyways, let's get into the discussion. Kind of to open things up, I want to uh, Marina, let's see, Marina Tanay, I'm scrolling, I thought I had it up here, is um, she works for the Sumner Bonnie Lake School District just outside of Tacoma here in Washington, but she's also the president of WAMOA, which is the Washington Association of Maintenance and Operations Administrators. I think I said that right. Um, and uh, she has a great quote. It was kind of the vision for the year. And boy, that's being put to the test. But um, leadership is not a position or a title. It's an, an action and example. And so, you know, that idea of which flows perfectly with what I'm trying to convey in the article. Leadership's not this thing on a pedestal that only certain people get. It's, you know, what you do day in, day out. You know, are you able to um, communicate, you know, what you want to see and help your team achieve it? And really it comes down to, I think it's a stupid question to ask, you know, am I a leader? Yes, you are. I'll answer that for you. If you're questioning right now, am I a leader? Yeah, you are. You. Look in the mirror. You. It's you. You are a leader. And that can be very, you know, various levels, you know, in your organization. But, uh, you know, you got to lead yourself and you lead others by example. And um, But really the question is that will help you and help others is, am I on course or off course? And in order to be on course or off course, you have to have some sense of direction. And then have I been intentional or been accidental? You know, and that's, um, you know, it's almost as scary to be achieving, you know, on course as a leader, but accidental. Like you can't pin down, you know, why? Because if you don't know where you are and how you got there as a leader and you haven't been intentional in that, then, you know, it's going to crumble and you're going to be in a worse off position. So um, you know, that quote of action and example. And actually, um, I saw Rachel Stewart, um, who wrote Unqualified Success, posted that, uh, you know, uh, a keynote speech she was really looking forward to, you know, with one of her uh, people she really looked up to has been canceled for this year. And I, I feel that because I was getting, I was scheduled much smaller scale, but, um, you know, really important in our region and something I was super excited for was, um, you know, I was going to do the closing keynote for the Wamoa conference. Marina asked me to do that this year and I was really looking forward to that and uh, you know things are postponed and we got to do what we got to do um, to keep, keep each other safe but um, you know enough of me rambling. Let's get into this discussion with Mike and David on leadership. All day! All night! All right. Okay, ready? Countdown, three, two, one, seven... Okay, well, we're here uh, kind of like a unique, this is a first for me uh, where we've had multiple people on, but we're talking about um, leadership quotes. So I got a few of my friends and peers. So we got Mike Kinney with Copper Top Construction there in Eugene, Oregon. Say hi to everyone, Mike. And then um, David Smith, you're also in Eugene, Oregon. So this is a real diverse panel. Um, but you work for a software company um, that uh, provides services, bidding software for um, people in the trades as well. And uh, Mike used to work at Les Schwab. That's where I think I first met you. And then David and I used to work together for a property restoration company, a well-known property restoration company. And uh, so we'll get into the meat of it. Um, who wants to go first with your quote? <laughs> You go. <laughs> okay. What do you got, Mike? I'm trying to look. Uh, so, discipline equals freedom. Uh, Jocko Willings. Be tougher. What up? That's all you got to do. Quit being a baby. 
You know, develop. Just be tougher. Next. I, I've read all of his books. And um, for me, it just means, you know, any kind of goals you have, any, you know, whether it's work goals, financial goals, life goals, um, it takes discipline to reach those goals. And so if you don't have structured systems in place and programs that you can follow, you know, the, the odds of reaching those goals are very slim, you know, so yeah. that discipline equals freedom is it's the hardest thing is to be disciplined to get there. But if you can, that is where the freedom comes from. So for me, it's just, I think about that all the time, whenever I'm trying to accomplish something, you know, it's the, it's the details, it's the little things each step of the way that will actually get you to that end goal. And it, if you can focus on those, you can get there where if you're thinking big picture and you want to go from point A to point Z, you know, instantly it, it's the odds aren't in your favor. So, so for me, it's just the, it's been a good reminder. I always think of that, that in the hard times doing the things that you don't really necessarily want to do, but you know, they're going to inch you closer to your goals. That's, that's part of it for me. It's just like that discipline of sticking to it will, will get me there. So. So did you read that when you were still managing a team there at Les Schwabman? Yeah. Yeah. That's where I first read it. Do you remember how you became aware of it? Was it like part of a subscription service or, or no, a buddy of mine, that guy I promoted uh, in management, he told me about the book that he was down, he's down in California. He was reading it. And so I got it and started reading it. And so there's been, there's the, the initial book that he has, um, and then he had the next one was uh, the dichotomy of leadership. So that's kind of the, he has all these different procedures and they tie it into the military. He was a Navy right. SEAL. And so it uh, kind of explains that whenever there's, you know, a system or something, you, there's always, there's a dichotomy. There's always like, if you want to be, you, you have to be, um, you know, you have to be direct and firm, but yet you can't go overboard with it. You know, there's yeah. always level of balance that you have to try to find when it comes to leadership you, you have kind of the the guiding principles but you can't go overboard with it right where and you can't go underboard either you got to actually find that balance find and that's balance. different in every scenario so are you have you read that or have you heard of jocko wilnick david i have not uh he's got a podcast good too. I think that's how I first became aware of them. But um, uh, no, we have a mutual friend, Derek. I think he recommended it. But so that, okay, so the discipline equals freedom. Would you agree with that, David? Then do you think that uh, that applies to your experience in leadership as well? Yeah, no, that definitely does. You know, it kind of even ties in with, uh, with the same quote that I had. You know, definitely discipline you know, does equal, you know, freedom. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, for you, Mike, is that how, I guess, how did that apply when you were managing others? And then even maybe more so now that you're <laughs> managing yourself, right? You, you went from working for a big company, basically all of us did, went from working for a big company, a known entity. And so how did, I, I guess I'd like to ask you both, how does discipline equals freedom, how did that apply when you were managing a team for somebody else's large company? And then how is that transition to now you, Mike, as an entrepreneur running your own company, and then you, David, working for a smaller company and quite a different different uh, system. So we'll start start with you, Mike. 
I think for me, um, the years I spent working with teams and leading teams of people, I always found that when there's less structure, less guidelines, um, things just seem to unravel quicker and people weren't necessarily able to respond as fast in, in a situation where you needed them to, yeah. where if you have a structured system and everybody understands each step of it and everyone's on the same page, then when things happen, like in, in that business, it was, you know, we called a snow rush or spring rush where you have this mass influx of customers and you have a certain amount of time, you've got to run all these cars through, you know, everybody kind of just knew the systems. And so everything went a lot smoother during those times opposed to, you know, if you didn't have any kind of systems in place, then, you know, let's say the lead gets taken out for some reason, They're, they go to lunch, they get hurt, they leave, whatever, they're sick then you have a whole group of people that don't understand their roles, where if everybody understands each person's role in the systems and it's practiced on a daily basis, then, Cross you know, yeah, exactly. You've got, you know, anybody can plug and play. You can kind of shift and move as you need to, to kind of get to your end game. So, you know, for me, it was, I always felt like, you know, there's, there's people that don't like to follow rules or they shy away from rules or they just want to buck the systems just because they don't like structure and keeping everything in a box. But I always tried to uh, do is teach people the why, why do we do it instead of just saying, well, this is the rule we need to do it. It was no, because if this, this, and this happens, this is why we have that in place. And when you can explain the why they can tend to, um, you know, they, they can believe in it more. And so they're more apt to uh, just yeah. do it just because they understand it more. So, so the structure and the, the discipline part of that, um, yeah. you know, you, you, it's just, it is more comforting for most people to be working in an environment like that. And it can't be so rigid that you lose sight of the actual human aspect of it, the people and the relationship part of it. And there's gotta still be that, but, um, but there has to be the, the discipline part of it. There has to be, or else, you know, things don't move forward or when things falls get kind of chaotic, it just falls apart. And people don't know how to react. Well, it's funny you mentioned seasonal because, so you're obviously at Les Schwab, seasonal is the, the snow tire season is the craziest, right? Yeah. And then, um, so David and I worked at Belfort and it's seasonal too. You have your peaks, kind of the reverse of traditional construction in the winter, you have your fires and, Mm. And then periodically you have your, uh, at least in Eugene, you have your floods and, or not floods, but your uh, freezes. I remember that was probably one of the most chaotic times for us. But um, do you have any thoughts on that, David, how discipline equals freedom when you're working and managing other people? Yeah, definitely with structure, you know, Mike hit it right on the head. You know, structure is vital towards uh, the team's discipline and your own discipline. Um, we had the same kind of similar experience where we had a structure um, where we had the right amount of management in place and the right amount of field workers in place that, you know, could actually work together and handle the load. And then once people started leaving and, you know, your structure kind of, once you don't have those people in place that know what to do, yeah. um, you can't just, you know, somebody that is well-versed in multiple trades, you know, you can't have them fill in and it just throws a wrench into your production and it just causes, you know, kind of a chaos uh, atmosphere to it. 
And that really starts messing with, with everything. Your structure really does lead to, to discipline it. You know, it allows you to, you know, free yourself up and your team up, you know, to focus on, you know, the steps that got you to where you were, you know, to be successful. And then once, uh, it's just kind of a trickle effect. Once that happens, you know, it just goes downhill from there. You know, once you start losing that structure, uh, you start losing your discipline as well. Yeah. Well, I, I know too, um, when, when it's busy, you know, you're, it, it makes you think about like, oh, we should have a structure. We should tweak this. You know, it exposes kind of the holes. But the hardest part is then when you're not as busy or if you get in a slow season, you're not typically as motivated to make those changes. So I think that's where, in my mind, that's where the discipline really comes in because you have to prepare yourself in those slower times. When in, in, If you think you're going to do training when you have time, you'll never have time. You have to make time for training and, and set the systems in. And you have to be almost more disciplined when you're slower or else you'll lose that opportunity to prepare your team you know, and that's what like David was talking about. And I'm sure you had that too, Mike, when you have, you know, when you're slammed that your lowest trained people just have to do the basics, right? Keep the bays clean, you know, make sure the techs have what they need to do what they need to do. And the same applied in property restoration. It's like, you know, your job is to listen and do whatever the heck we tell you to do because we got to get this stuff done. And then in the slower times, you know, when it's not crazy season, that's when you really have to double down on training um, and that's hard. I know that was hard for us in a bigger system. You know, um, not everybody sees the value of training, yeah. but it comes to fruition when you're in those crazy times. So going to, um, now being self-employed for you, Mike, um, how has that played out in, in, uh, being an entrepreneur? Well, I think it's, it's, it's similar. You know, I found the first probably month after I uh, went out on my own, I, you know, for years I've gotten up at 4 a.m. And part of it was just to get a little bit of me time before I went to work at six yeah. as a Schwab. Right? And so um, after I left, I'm like, oh, I don't need to get up at 4 a.m. anymore. So I started sleeping until 6.30-ish. Oh, wow. Around there, right? Wow. And, uh, Lazy. But man. I found, I, but I quickly went back to getting up at, the early time because I found that that system allowed me time to just be on a routine. And so being by myself, it's super easy to, it would be really easy to just not do anything one day if I didn't want to. It's like, yeah, you don't have anything pressing or anything scheduled. It's like, you can literally do nothing if you want to. But I find that keeping a disciplined schedule of blocks of time where I do certain things during the day has helped me keep progressing forward with the business and gaining more clients and staying on task on projects. Um, because that's the one thing that I really bothers me about industry is that it seems that customers that are paying tend to get jerked around on their schedule because people bouncing jobs back and forth. So I kind of committed to only having three projects going at a time so that I can manage that so they wouldn't have to be bumped because a more important job popped up or you know something else or something you know a big disaster at another job and all of a sudden i gotta put this yeah. one on so i quickly saw that that could be the case with this so i, I wanted to get on the disciplined schedule for myself to where i could uh, maintain the quality of the work i was producing so, so it's definitely tied into it 
And as I grow employees, you know, those systems will naturally come into play for training them and, and yeah. giving that same quality. So, yeah, I think I recently saw a quote talking about set every business up as for scale, you know, is uh, I think you got the right mindset, you know, trying to uh, be more of the GC as opposed to doing everything hands on. Um, how, how about you, David? Um, I know we've talked about offline now that uh, you're not in property restoration. It's hard to adjust your mentality to a normal workload. Um, how is it different at, uh, at your new um, place of employment? Yeah, right off the bat, you know, meeting with the, you know, my new managers and just kind of talking to them about it. And what hit me right off, like I said, right off the bat was, you know, their philosophy was, if it's hard, we're doing something wrong. Uh, and ah, ah, Let's not lose our cool. Then we're no better than the machine. And they actually, they've, you know, they started the company and they, now they're, they've been bought out by a large corporation and they just keep getting bigger and bigger. And they've actually had their hand in every step of the way. So they know what it takes um, and what everybody goes through. And so they've actually, you know, going back to, we are talking about our structure, you know, knowing what it takes to be successful, you know, they have this philosophy of have the right people in place. And if we have, you know, you know, everybody gets kind of a, during the busy season, right? They get freak out, hire more people. Then what do you do when you start to slow down? And so they tried to find this sweet, spot of having the right amount of people, you know, throughout the whole year, there's no laying anybody off, you know, hiring extra people when you get busy, you know, they have this philosophy of just having the right amount of people and they could focus on, you know, the structure and knowing multiple, you know, parts of, of the organization so we could fill in when needed. And so not everybody's overwhelmed. So that's been a huge adjustment for me. And and it's allowed me to be successful where I'm at, you know, being able to focus on my role and I can help out in other departments, you know, when need be, but you know, it's not overwhelming in the sense of, uh, you know, normally in restoration, you're just like, you know, I don't have any, any time left in the day and then you're putting in extra hours and it still wasn't even enough you know, yeah. to get you through. So, you know, it's just, it's amazing, you know, seeing somebody, you know, stick to a structure and making sure that they have, right amount of employees and you know the right philosophy you know to put people in the right spots yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting you know i'm wearing my uh sounders uh jersey but uh you know they the pro teams they invest so much in their employees that they wear those monitors you know they're tracking them when they're practicing throughout the week you know the stress loads and those kinds of things you mentioned not being overwhelmed and I mean, that's a tricky one, especially when you're managing other people, like monitoring, you know, like workloads and those kinds of things. And I know we tried to do that and that was easier said than done, especially when you're not, even if you're at the top, you're still middle of something, you know, so having complete control is not there. Um, Whereas Mike, you know, you now have complete control, right? But even then you're working for somebody, you know, so you have to set because. It's just like it's, you know, you just own a job basically. It still yeah. have, you know, clients and, you know, that dictate what I do and how I do the business. So I still cater to that. Uh, I still, if I don't work, I don't get paid. You know, yeah. so I mean, there's there's still 
there's still controls and there's still a boss. It's just, I, I'm in a little bit more control of my schedule and time and everything. So. Well, I like what you said, you know, trying to structure your system to take care of the clients as needed, as opposed to, you know, when you're working for somebody else, a lot of times it's, you know, put out the fires or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's get into your quote, David. Um, you had, uh, well, I don't want to steal it from you. What was your quote? It was uh, either you went, you know, either you run the day or the day runs you. Mm -hmm. uh, it was by Jim Rohn. Uh, he, I actually ran into him, uh, listened to, you know, he, he's, uh, I think he was popular, uh, like around, uh, seventies. Um, so, but he was, a uh, Tony Robbins mentor. Um, but I actually ran into some of his material on entree leadership, entree leadership. And good. Like you buy a car you can't afford and everybody thinks you're making it. Look at George. George is doing good. Did you see that car he bought? That job must be kicking it. All George got was a payment coming out of his freaking ear holes. Okay. And so then I was able to kind of pull up his own videos and, you know, he does have some kind of, you know, kind of the off the wall uh, quotes and philosophies, but, you know, they're still true today. So yeah, it kind of ties into the philosophy we're talking about, you know, the discipline, you know, not letting the day get out of control you know, and reminding yourself that, you know, you are the one that controls how your day goes and, you know, your setup, you know, like, like Mike was saying, you know, your routines, you know, you're in control of that. You know, if you have, you know, those people that get up, work out or, or have breakfast or whatever the routine is, you know, it just allows them to create this fresh mindset. You know, what am I going to accomplish today? As opposed to those people that, you know, get up last second, rushing, you know, get in the shower, rush to work. You know, they're just rushing and not actually sitting down and taking the time to gather themselves, take care of themselves and put a plan together to how they're going to accomplish the day and you know, what their main focus is going to be. Well, you touched on that. Um, and I know Mike, you felt that too, where we, where you were at, where, um, in the place that we were at, you don't control the workload, right? I mean, you know, we work for companies that, um, made agreements to, you know, uh, I know at the, at uh, Schwab's, like the customer comes in, they have certain policies that you just, you do it. And then mm -hmm. we worked, um, you know, we were a smaller market for Belfort, so we did a lot of program work. So if the work came in, you know, it didn't matter when it came in, we were expected to do it. And um, so, like you said, David, I think kind of touching on control, what you can control, you mentioned previously not being overwhelmed. And then, so is that for you? Are you, how did you, in a system where it's just continually <laughs> a tidal wave of work, how did you um, handle, you know, trying to, um, you know, run your day? What were some of the disciplines that helped you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, most, most of the time it's, uh, and you are right, you know, it's just, you can't control the workload that's coming at you. You know, like uh, when you have a freeze or some sort of, uh, you know, cat uh, event that comes at you, you can't control that. Um, but, you can, you know, control of, you know, trying to have the same structure throughout the day. Obviously there is going to be a rent thrown up, but like, you know, if you look at emails first thing in the morning or meet with your crews or, you know, you spend a couple hours late morning, you know, dealing with your customers, you know, trying to keep to your same routines and your schedule, um, that is key. You know, yes, you're not going to be able to keep up with the workload, but if you try to keep the same structure and mentality, 
you know, you can come close to, you know, producing the same results, you know, that you have, you know, when you actually have this, you know, the, the manpower and the workloads manageable. Yeah. Well, it ties into even that concept you mentioned, Mike, the extreme ownership, like you've got to own your part of it. Right. So if you, yeah. if you say, well, this company doesn't care or whatever, and you know, part of, I mean, we were, all three of us were in service-based and still are in service-based industries. That's part of what attracts you to it, right? Being able to, when a customer calls and you can create the solution and you're, you know, your team is the best, uh, that's exhilarating, you know, yeah. but you've got to, you've got to control your part of it, right? And not, um, you know, and if you can't handle it or you feel like it's untenable anymore, then you have to explore your other opportunities. Mm-hmm. Sometimes easier said than done. So how about you, Mike, as far as like running the day, what were, you talked about, you like to wake up early um, and then you had a lazy spell where you're getting up at 6.30. It's ridiculous, I know. <laughs> yeah, geez. Um, <clears throat> what, uh, what, do you have any thoughts on that uh, run the day or the day runs you? Yeah, I think that ties right into why I do that. What I found was, you know, especially being by myself for most of la- or all of last year, really, um, I would be on jobs and I couldn't tend to some of the business stuff yeah. like I wanted to during the day because I was constantly in this mode of choosing, you know, okay, if I break away from this, this job to go do a bid or to go meet with another client or to handle back office business stuff that I was taking away from that client's experience and their project. Yeah. So there was this constant, uh, this kind of tug of, I don't feel comfortable with this. And so I chose to get up back at my normal time early to where I could still have some time for, you know, growth and learning, you know, reading in the mornings, just mentally relaxing. And then I can jump right into getting some of the back office business stuff done before my family's up, before any of that hits or anybody else is out doing work. You know, I've got all that stuff done, whether it's bidding jobs, running invoices, making sure my books are in line. I could do all that in the morning while I'm sipping on coffee and yeah. get that out of the way before the day ever begun. And so then I didn't have to worry about it during the day. So there was never, there was no more of that, that tug and pull of getting behind because I was, you know, on other jobs or running to get materials or this or that. So, so it just made it a lot easier for me to structure my day without having to worry about something not getting done that really needed to get done. Cause that happens to a lot of people. They don't, they don't pay attention to the business side of things and you know, they're great at their craft and they have a passion for what they do and they're really great at what they do, but they let the, the back office business stuff kind of get all scrambled and that ends yeah. up in their bottom line, which ultimately is what keeps you in business. So yeah, so I, I didn't want to go down that road. Well, I know we talked about that. Like, you know, when I had my own business, it's, it's exactly like you said, if you're not out marketing, you're not getting future work. And if you're not invoicing, you're not getting your cash flow. But at the same time, you know, you're out there on the job to get it done so you could bill it and you have to decide. So, you know, that's, I guess that's probably maybe another great discussion is, uh, you know, knowing when to add pieces. Um, and I think that was something I think that ties into kind of where I was going with uh, the quote that I picked, but uh, you know, you may not be in control of everything, especially if you're working for another company, but you can control what happens within your team. And I think that's something David and I tried to do where 
we didn't always have input on whether we could add a team member, you know, especially for some of those um, administrative roles. So we kind of use that, you know, in creative ways to try to create opportunities and, um, you know, and that's actually, um, you know, how David, you know, we created an opportunity for David to come up, you know, was, uh, you know, um, Bo body, Bo body. What does the first B stand for? What are we doing? We're making acronyms. Okay. What does the first B stand for? Uh, experiment with some of those opportunities. If I was out of the office and those kinds of things, that was way early on, but, uh, yeah, I think that goes into control. You can control what you can control. Um, so the quote I picked was, um, I, I think it's a quote. It's from um, Good to Great where uh, Jim Collins talks about get the right people on the bus and then get them in the right seats on the bus. And I know, um, I don't think David and I read that together, but we had both read that book and believed in those principles and the, the idea being, you know, um, it is insane how many companies, and we did it too, um, you know, even in direct hires, you, you don't hire to the vision of what you're trying to build or the structure that you have in place. And, you know, I think we found more and more over time, and it's just proven true, even from my prior mentors, my time, you know, there in Eugene, and then even beyond is, it is more important to get people that are a good fit for your system, you know, than it is to find people that are, you know, quote unquote, uber talented or have a lot of experience, you know, and I've, I personally have always enjoyed getting people that, um, you know, were honest, hardworking and willing to learn and then teach them, you know, the, the system as opposed to trying to get the guy that has, you know, years and years of experience with somebody else, but he's coming to your company because he wants a dollar more you know, yeah. um, he or she, but, um, so getting the right people on the bus, I guess maybe let, let's start with that. What has been your experience, um, with, um, hiring the right kinds of people? I'll start with you, David. What's, uh, some of your insights on like, how did you approach trying to bring the right people in? Well, like you said, sometimes, you know, we didn't have, uh, you know, the, the options of the right timing to, you know, to, pick the, the people we needed and we had to make things work. But I think when we, we did have the chance to actually interview and bring people in, it was, like you said, you're dealing with, uh, you want to hire the right personalities and mentality um, and, yeah. just, and not jumping the gun, you know, and hire somebody for right there on the spot, first interview, having, you know, go out, meet them face-to-face, -face, coffee, phone interviews, follow up again, face-to-face you know, actually take the time to get to know somebody before you make the decision. Uh, Cause you want to make sure that they're going to fit in your, your team and your philosophy. You know, yeah. Cause you don't know where you're going in, you know, in the future, you know, and how things are going to change, but at least you get the right people, you know, so really trying to dig your heels in when you're, you're doing your research and finding people and not just pulling the trigger quickly, uh, but actually taking the time and finding the right personalities and mentality to bring on your team. Well, I know you and I had conversations about that. Like, you know, some people, sometimes we would present somebody and um, they maybe had more experience than, it was odd, you know, some people would have, you know, they seem overqualified, but they want the opportunity. 
And uh, I know we discussed that. It's like, I don't mind if someone's going to be here for three, six months, a year, as long as they're cranking it out and giving a hundred percent, then, you know, let's have, I'd rather have somebody that's going to kick butt for six months and, and gracefully move on than, um, you know, try to keep going with people that uh, don't want to be there. Is that, how about you, Mike? What's, uh, what is, what was your experience with kind of bringing, um, right people into the organization maybe good and bad i think uh, because of my long span with one company you know i had over 23 years with with les schwab and in early on in my management career when i was hiring people we literally had kind of the pick of the litter right we had no problem getting employees and we could pick and choose the right personality the right character the right kind of attitude to plug in and so you you could you could really look for those qualities in an interview you can work them for a little while and see if that was a good fit and fast forward you know the last i don't know 10 years yeah uh, they've changed and it got to be where you didn't have as much opportunity to hire people because the job market got really really good for people so everybody had yeah. jobs and yeah. so you were now picking from uh, the workforce that for some whatever reason it is they necessarily weren't working or they weren't really attracted to come work you know eight nine ten hour days sweating it out I can't believe we drove around all day and there's not a single job in this town there's nothing nada zip yeah unless you want to work 40 hours a week getting dirty yeah. you know so it shifted so i have a little different perspective on each time you know, I think where we could, we would try to find those personalities, but we also got really good at, you know, I could tell within a week of working with somebody if it yeah. was going to work out long term. And, and it was very accurate because there were certain things and every business is different, but there are certain qualities that, you know, just flat characteristics that will, that person will see success yeah. in, your, in, in your business if they show those qualities. Now, some of that stuff can be taught. Uh, but there are certain things that have to be kind of, you know, naturally within them. And so we would hire in mass scales for the busy seasons. So we didn't always have the, the luxury to just really pick and choose. We had to hire a bunch of people and hope that the majority of them would do well during that influx of business. Yeah. And then you kind of weed them out through that process to make your team for moving on through the summer months and heading into wintertime. So it was kind of a, you know, the early months were the vetting process. You hire a bunch of people and you would kind of pick and choose who has it, who doesn't, you know, when it slowed down a little bit, you would let go of the ones that didn't. Um, yeah. And then you kind of maintain with the ones that did, but there's a different, there's different philosophies on that. There were some managers that would lay people off and, you know, kind of string them out and bring them back, you know, and they use that as a tool to weed out kind of the weaker employees. And I did, I've never really, I mean, I've done that, but I never really bought into doing that as a standard. I always felt like um, if you were too heavy on employees or somebody just wasn't cutting it to the grade that you needed them to, you let them go and you find the person that you can hire that will make it instead right. of trying to force and mold somebody into a position. Um, you may see success with that every once in a while, but as a whole, as a standard, I never, I never really believed in that. I cut them loose and I would move on and I would try to find somebody right. else, you know, instead of trying to 
you know, well, maybe they'll change or maybe they'll fit into our systems um, because the odds are they aren't, you know? Yeah. And you could be surprised, but the odds aren't in your favor on that. Yeah, that was, you know, we had um, some unique things in Eugene. We had some, um, some people that wanted part-time work. And so, you know, they, uh, we had a really good partner at a staffing company that, um, you know, people wanted some more flexibility um, in their employment. And so that was an advantage. I know when I got to Seattle, you know, especially as this $15 an hour thing becomes more and more, um, you know, of a trend. And then, um, you know, in Seattle, there's a lot more union work, you know, um, it, it was extremely hard to uh, recruit people <laughs> for, you know, when it's like, if, if you're comparing to $15 an hour at a McDonald's, you know, or a Starbucks versus, you know, what we ask people do in property restoration, you know, it's pretty crazy. So, and even in, uh, when I was in Eugene, you know, we would have conversations because we were starting to bring people in at, at higher and higher. Thankfully we were able to get that, but the conversation was our expectations after 90 days, you know, you're going to be, you know, prove that you're ready to rock and roll, that you're growing um, or else, you know, we will have to let you go um, because we're trying to, you know, to bring people in. And, and in Eugene, uh, it was, you know, I know, you know, Schwab's and at Belfour, those were, those were good jobs. You know, they were better than, you know, some of the average jobs, whereas in Seattle, you know, it wasn't, I mean, you know, someone could go be a union carpenter and make, you know, three times as much, you know, yeah. so that's what you were competing with. So uh, it definitely changed the metrics. Um you know, and, and what you were looking for. And it was crazy what people were paying less talented carpenters, you know, so that was, you know, getting the salaries up, you know, for some of our really talented guys that we wanted to keep, you know, that was a challenge here. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, for the company I was working for in Seattle. So I think that's going to be an ongoing, you know, yeah. um, deal. Um, so then uh, what about, so, uh, the quote goes, get the right people on the bus and then get them in the right seats on the bus. And, and I, there's, I, I feel like that's probably even more so, you know, if you're fortunate enough to get people in that are honest and hardworking and willing to learn, you know, or even sometimes, you know, 50 to 80% of, of those factors, then, you know, um, organizations and people in a position of leadership saying, Hey, you're talented in this area. Maybe you have a weakness in this area structuring your team to where people are uh, flourishing where they're strong and then, you know, complementing their, their weaknesses. I mean, we all have them. Um, you know, what's, uh, what has been your experience with that, Mike, like tweaking people to try to make them more effective? I think as it got to be when our, our crew sizes shrunk over the years because, yeah. we, you know, Lean for whatever reason, yeah, leaned in me. We, we always kind of felt like we ran that way, but over 2008 to 2010, that shifted everything, right? And so yeah. what I found was it's, it was always my thought when I was evaluating members of the crew, if there's value somewhere, we keep working with them, you know? And in that setting, we did everything. You know, they would work on the cars, they would answer the phones, they would run and do sales, they would order products. We taught them to do everything. Yeah. But not everybody is good at everything. And so yeah. I always balanced out that, okay, well, where are the where are their strengths? And is that a value? And if somebody 
didn't have any more value in the store. That was the determining factor. Hey, we're done. We're done trying. You know, we're going to try and try and try. But if there's no value there, they aren't bringing anything to the table. Then we don't we don't need them. And so that for our employees and the coworkers, that was a little bit of a harder concept because they view things as you know what is helping me right now. And so if I'm slugging it out working on cars and you've got you know Joe over there that you know, seems to be disappearing all the time. That, yeah. That's all that person sees, that employee sees. It's like, well, he's not out here working in cars with me, so he must be no value. But what I see as an overall is, no, he's at the, the front counter making sales. He's really good with customers. Or right. he's the guy in the back room making sure that we have all the, all the materials we need to do the job. So if he wasn't doing that, you wouldn't be able to do your job. And so there's value there. And so it was a constant uh, coaching of, you know, when there was a flare up between two employees, uh, it was usually something like that where they just think that they have no value anymore. So I had to kind of open their eyes a little bit, a lot more. Uh, Hey, there is value here. Just like you work really hard in the bays and we, we appreciate that. We need that. This individual, um, you know, they're the first one to run to the truck slab to work on the dirtiest and most strenuous jobs when nobody else wants to. So yeah. you just kind of constantly balance that, but it's also shifting those employees and putting them in the places where they're going to be successful too. Yeah. So, you know, giving them that opportunity to use their strength daily instead of forcing them to do something that maybe they're not as good on and they're miserable and you're not getting any good productivity out of them. It's a, yeah. it's a lose lose where if you can shift them into a position and, you know, let them flourish in what they are comfortable and good at, then the rest of it, you can try to build up underneath them and teach them in the smaller, you know, smaller doses. So it's extremely important to use them in their their strengths and then try to teach them the rest of the stuff as as you go. Yeah. Well, and I think, I don't want to speak for David, but um, we have talked about this before. You know, I think that comes from, if you're overseeing people too, understanding your own strengths and weaknesses, not only that, but like, what do you enjoy doing? You know, so you may be overwhelmed in work, but hey, I enjoy doing these tasks. These ones drain me, you know, mm-hmm. and then if you have partners and other people on the team to be able to say, you know, maybe some of those things that drain you are things that other people love doing, you know, mm-hmm. and so by having those conversations, you can, it doesn't lessen the workload, but it kind of lessens your strain. You're not straining as much to do stuff that you just hate doing that somebody else would love to have, you know, as part of their core responsibilities. And I think that's where David and I work really well together. You know, our strengths complemented each other. I work too hard to deal with this stuff. I work too hard. I am a division manager in charge of 29 people. I I I drive a Dodge Stratus. Um, so I'll kick that to you, David, you know, what is some of your insights, you know, getting getting people yeah, in the right seats, you know, comes down to a couple of things where, you know, one, you know, observing in a couple different ways, you actually, as, as managers, you have to be out there. I think you have to be in the trenches with your team. Yeah. And like Mike was saying, you have to be there watching, you know, you can't take a, you know, if it's your responsibility to build a team, you have to be out in the trenches watching them. You know, can't take other people's words. You know, yes, you do need their their input. You know, what is what do team members think of each other? But ultimately, the buck stops with you. And so you have to watch them. You know, 
So either watch them from a distance, working with them. And then second of all, like you said, John, you know, having that honest conversation with somebody, you know, sitting down with an employee, like, Hey, you know, if like Mike, like he's saying, he sees somebody who likes going to the desk and doing sales, you know, sitting down with them, like, Hey, do you really enjoy the sales part of it? You know, this is a need that is yeah. something that we need, you know, yeah. and actually what is your, what is your vision of moving forward? You know, is this something you would like to do? Um, Cause you can't just say, Oh, well, this person looks like they're doing really good at this position and that's not what they want. So you have to have that balance of watching, you know, working with them, observing, and then having that conversation with them, you know, what is, what do you enjoy the most and where do you see yourself, you know, moving forward? Yeah. How, how, how can we help align all of yeah. those things together? Yeah. Those well, part of it too. Yeah. Being realistic before, like going back to hiring people, I think you have to be realistic of what you're, you're doing yeah. and, and the pay, like you were saying, John, there's union carpenters and, you know, you, you'd always hear, you know, higher managers, you know, GMs, regionals say, Hey, go get the top talent. Okay. That costs. Yeah. Are you going to pay someone 35, 40 bucks yeah. to be a carpenter? And they're like, well, no, we could only pay 20, 25. Well, you're not going to get the top talent for that. So you have to be realistic. And with that, that goes back to, you know, finding, you know, the right personalities, the right mentality. You know, I could teach you. I think most of, you know, in our, you know, our experiences in the restoration world, that was finding somebody that was just willing. I think some of our best hires, they were just willing, you know, you look at what they were doing, either, you know, we hired car salesmen, you know, somebody who's making donuts, actually yeah. two people are making donuts yeah. and they become superstars yeah. in their, their roles. And it took, this is something that didn't happen overnight, didn't happen in a few weeks. You know, we're talking about years, you know, and you have to be patient, you know, put in the time and then it will pan out. You know, if you, if you want right. the right people on your team, you know, you do have to be patient and, and give them the right resources to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and two, I mean, the, the, it's one thing to teach them the skills and then those people that become kind of your site foreman and, you know, probably, I, I'm sure that was your experience too, Mike, you know, you know, people that are leading teams, that that's like a whole nother level of, and, and especially in our experience, when we're hiring younger people, it just takes maturing, right? And then understanding, you know, I've had numerous conversations with people, you're not going to lead the same way I am. But at some point, you're going to have to find a way to say, hey, this is what needs to be done. And that doesn't have to be all the time, you know, most of the time, if you're leading and you're doing things, you know, that's, uh, you know, every now and again, there's going to be those conflicts where people butt heads and you got to figure out how to, how to resolve that. And each person has to do that in their own way. Um, mm -hmm. And it's pretty exciting, you know, when that light bulb clicks on and like, oh, this is my style. This is how I approach people. And then seeing people respond to that. And then, you know, conversely, there's some funny stories too. people of uh, just imploding, you know, like um, they, they, they want it and they say they're this or that. And, it uh, it doesn't quite work out. So um, yeah. yeah, well, I I thank you guys. I mean, we're running up on an hour, so I don't want to steal too much of your time. Even though I love talking to both of you. Um, any uh, closing thoughts as it relates to, um, I, you know, I think this time in particular, especially for companies, you know, it's uh, you know need more leadership, more communication, you know, more collaboration within your teams to come up with solutions. 
any uh, closing thoughts? I just, for me, I just think that all this whole discussion on leadership, you know, there's, there's two things that kind of stand out and uh, it was already kind of touched on, but ownership, you know, yeah. it starts at the top, right? You have to take honest and genuine ownership when things go wrong yeah, as the leader, because wherever that broken link is, that leads back to you and your efforts and what you've, you know, invested in your team. And so it genuinely can be looked at as it starts at the top and you hear phrases like that, but it really does. And as long as you show that, it uh, doesn't mean you can't take action. doesn't mean you can't correct the problem and all that stuff, but you have to genuinely know that, Hey, uh, you know, it, it's my, my issue. I have to deal with this. I have to take ownership of this. If you can do that, that puts you on a different playing field than your average person who really wants to uh, deflect ownership and maybe blame others, you know, and that will run rampant through your teams. And so yeah. attitude is, I think the basis of it all, even when finding employees, I mean, that right attitude, you can work with a lot of other things, but if you have a bad attitude or the wrong attitude, you're not going to change that in most people. That's something that is harder to move than a skill. So, yeah. so I think everything we're talking about kind of comes back to those two things of having the right attitude and, and just taking ownership as the leader. If you can do that, then you'll have people that will follow, you know, and then, yeah. you know, you can, you can hit your goals. Yeah, I think today, you know, definitely shows that everything going on in our, you know, in the world with COVID-19 and, oh, it's kind of, it's amazing to take a step back and watch how everybody, you know, just, you know, talks about how do we approach this and, you know, you watch the government, state, you know, local, from the state level um, to organizations. It's kind of amazing that leadership, you know, where you got people that come out and, you know, who are actually stronger now, yeah. you know, in this chaos and they're helping the country, you know, and the rest of the world move forward, you know, because right. they had a plan, they're calm and they have the right people in place. Then, you know, you watch the news and it's doomsday and, you know, it's, yeah. it's not going to work and all these different things. And, you know, I'm grateful to work for an organization that, you know, I thought was crazy, you know, two months ago, they put a task force together. Uh, to approach this, it's like, well, what do you mean? You know, why would we, you know, have to plan for this? It's not only in China, but they they saw what you know. They asked that that question: What if it comes over here? What are we going to do? Yeah. You know, so they they came up with a plan. You know, here's here's the different scenarios. You know, best case, you know, worst case, and once the worst case scenario hit, we're like, okay, everybody's got to work from home. We got to do our part to limit this, you know, this spread. They had everything put in place. Um, once they pulled the trigger, um, I had, they were like, all right, you need to grab your equipment and we have take it home boxes uh, tech wise to get set up, you know, to work from home. It was seamless. Yeah. It yeah. just, and I was able to get it, you know, everybody else in my office able to get set up that afternoon. So I think it is important, you know, even, you know, today with all the chaos, yeah. it comes down to, you know, having that, that control and that discipline, you know, all forms of uh, the leadership ladder, you know, just shows very important to keep us afloat. And, you know, I think to, you know, being positive about it, you know, you look at all these, you know, these restaurants, you know, being creative, you know, trying to figure out, find a way to stay in business and keep people employed, 
um, it's just kind of inspirational, you know, to see you know, how we're going to get through this. And that all starts from, you know, the leadership and, and discipline. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, you know, I'd like to touch on two, I think too often we make leadership this thing, right? And uh, we are, there's people in positions of leadership, you know, there's, I mean, it's not separate from the people, right? There's no, like, this is leadership, it's people and what they do. And so, I mean, your, your quote, discipline equals freedom um, and uh, run the day or the day runs you. I mean, those are practical, right? Those are, that's whether you're a brand new person on the lowest rung or a mid-level manager or a high level executive, those are things that are going to help you um, and, and things that you can control from wherever you are within the organization to um, try to make something happen. Um, I appreciate you guys, you know, personally and professionally, um, just to give people an idea, you know, Mike, um, you worked at Les Schwab, which is traditionally just, you know, it's dirty, right? Everybody's dirty and, and it's dirty and your stores were always like phenomenally clean. I remember when we went to the, the store on 18th and um, just dialed in. And um, to me, that stands out because we always tried to teach our teams, you know, cleanliness is godliness and restoration, you know, and so I remember my manager early on taught me, you know, the last thing you should do is vacuum on your way out. And I don't know how many times, you know, especially customers would just say, thank you. You know, it just shows that you take care. Right. And so for me, when I went to your stores and, and the more I got to know you, I knew that was relevant because it means you're caring about the details. You care about what your people are doing and you have an idea of like, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to stand out. Um, yeah. It's crazy how simple things can make a difference. And then David, <clears throat> when I met David, you were a technician, but uh, you quickly, you know, rose and um, you're probably one of the best uh, in, in property restoration. And I know this is the same, you know, in your service industry, Mike, you have to have a plan for the day, but your plan has to be hundred percent interruptible because that call comes in, whether it's a high profile client or we get three new losses, you have to be able to know where your teams are shift and adjust and so <clears throat> especially as you started taking the reins on those kinds of things just your ability to i call you the best puzzle piece you know guy in the game you know you were always able it was never like david was never like oh my god what are we gonna do it was like okay yeah. and you go back to the board and kind of shift things around and you know hey i need you to do this i need you to do this and and people responded to that they're like nobody was like what are we gonna do you know, well, there were some people, but not people on our team, right? And uh, and they would just respond to that cool and calm, you know, and say, all right, well, we can do this. And, you know, and, and, and we were able to shift pieces and get people taken care of. And, uh, you know, you're, you're calm under pressure, um, you know, um, uh, the property restoration is missing out not having you in the game, but uh, I'm sure you're enjoying not being as directly involved. <laughs> so, um so I thank you guys for sharing your insights and your time. And hopefully this is uh, one of the first of many. So peace. Yeah, thanks for having us, John. Peace. Yeah, thanks. Well, that's a wrap. I'm sure you caught all of it. But, uh, you know, Mike talked about discipline equals freedom from um, Jocko Wilnick's book, Extreme Ownership. I know I have saw... You know, Clark Brown posted, I think it was on Facebook, you know, books people are reading and, and several people, you know, noted that book. Um, you know, geez, talk about a badass dude. I mean, if you follow him on Instagram, he's always up at around four o'clock every morning doing 
some crazy, you know, kettleball, pull, you know, thousand pull-ups or whatever, you know, like, uh, he'd definitely be, um, one of the guys in 300 or whatever the Spartans, um, charging the gates. So former Navy SEAL, now he does coaching, podcasting, manufacturing. I think I saw he just now has a energy drink and stuff like that. So, um, you know, very cool, you know, transitioning from, you know, doing badass stuff as a Navy SEAL, making very little money to now, you know, doing pretty well for himself, you know, as an entrepreneur and, um, you know, just sharing really practical stuff. Um, and then David's, you know, run the day or the day runs you from Jim Rohn. Um, I didn't realize uh, he was um, Tony Robbins mentor. So that was interesting. Um, but that's an apt quote for David. Like I said, that guy's a production guy, you know, as far as understanding how to put the pieces together, keeping your calm, you know, having a plan, but uh, being able to adjust. Um, he is, uh, he's the top gun at that. So um, very organized person. And so I wanted to share, I, I really was excited. The quotes that we got from uh, the people I reached out to was awesome. But Alex Watts um, uh, from Avenue 5, he shared a quote on LinkedIn from Nelson Mandela. Action without vision is only passing time. Vision without action is merely daydreaming. But vision with action can change the world. So that's uh, uh, how true is that today, right? We need some. We need to have some vision, and and we need to have action, and and we need both. You know, um, and so it's not just enough. You know, you can be trudging ahead and going the wrong direction. So you need to have some level of vision, and that's kind of ties back into what I call the two questions, you know, am I on course or am I off course? And uh, you got to be honest with yourself and say, you know, have I charted a vision? You know, are we making progress? Um, and then have I been intentional or have I been accidental? You know, do you know where you're at? Um, and, you know, it's, you know, if you've charted a, a path and you're off course, it's not working, right? Say you've given it a, a certain amount of time and it's not working, you know, that is intentional to say, okay, well, this is what I thought. This is where we tried to go. Everybody, you know, gave their best effort. It's clear it's not taking us where we want to go. We can adjust as much better, even better than being on course, but being accidental as a leader saying, uh, yeah, it's working, but I don't know why, <laughs> you know, that is so dangerous. You know, that's, um, it's going to crumble and you're going to be in an even worse spot. Um, but another, um, coworker of mine, you know, it's funny how, uh, you know, hindsight helps you see things, you know, much better. Um, but uh, Greg Smith, who now works for Contractor Connection, why can't I head this up? Uh, his quote was, listen to your people. And I loved what he had to say about the follow-up. He's like, I've learned. So again, the quote is, listen to your people. Very simple, right? Um, but I've learned, from, I've learned this from many years and many personalities. Of course, some are better than others at swaying the leader. The challenge of a leader, in my opinion, is realizing that those that don't speak out tend to be the ones you need to hear the most. I believe that the, those that tend to prop themselves up as the spokesman for all tend to say what they need to say to advance their careers. There are always more qualified candidates that just don't like the attention and prefer to demonstrate effectiveness versus talking the talk. It takes a good leader to be patient enough to wait for those results. 
especially with the pressure to show results. Very tempting to take Mr. Good Speaker to an event because it makes you look good versus getting real data and coaching the right person to step up and take the praise, even if they are terrified of it. You know, that's there's a lot in there, you know, um, and that's I think that's really great insight. That kind of ties into that uh, quote from Jim Collins in Good to Great. You know, you need the you need to get the right people on the bus and then get the right people in the seats on the bus. And sometimes, you know, if your team is struggling, maybe you very likely have the right people. Just maybe somebody's in the wrong spot, right? You're not aligning their uh, skills and abilities with um, with uh, where they would thrive, you know. And if they could be put in a spot where they can thrive, it would be better for you and the whole organization. Um, but you know, when you're working for larger companies, um, you know, sometimes that's easier said than done, right? You know, to to you know buck the um, buck the uh, system. Um, so. Um, just, I, I encourage you, all, I really, all the quotes, I, I read through them, kind of organized them, you know, in kind of a structure to, um, you know, to try to flow as, as best as possible, but uh, just great contributions. And I, in the article, I put links to their, most of them to their LinkedIn profile, so you can check those people out and connect with them. Um, and maybe you recognize some of them, but uh, excited to share with you. You know, we got uh, people coming up, Eric, the tech whisperer, Sprague of a morning tech meeting he's um we've got that recorded and i need to get that out um skylar lewis of superior restoration talks about um you know some unique takes on transparency and like building a business up and then having to kind of retool um, and realizing you know what you have to do as a leader to kind of um, take ownership of that and then william mendoza from uh, rockland restoration um you know, guy has just some awesome ideas, but it, a lot of it just comes down to having fun with what you're doing and taking care of your people. And so um, I hope you're enjoying this. We'd love to have your feedback. <laughs> I would like, um, would love to have your feedback. So um, we'll uh, talk at you soon. See, see you again soon. All day, all night, all morning, whatever. Hope you're doing fine. I really sincerely hope you guys are doing good. Thanks for listening. Bye. Well, you've been a huge help to our company too, man. We're excited to kind of see how we both can grow. Uh, say that again. John Isaacson has been a crucial role or played a crucial role in our company okay. in the growth. I just wanted to make sure. He is an exact to make grow. Yeah, not a ninja. <laughs> no, no. <laughs>